tonight um, a little bit of information from our trip down to El Salvador. This was our fourth trip to the country of El Salvador. We started in 2001 when there was an earthquake, and we've been going back ever since. We now have four ministers down there that we're providing some support to. First town we went to was St. Augustine, um, and Osmine is there, and then San Francisco, and Oscar is there. Uh, Last year we went to Uslatan, and uh, Armando Galeano, has been there for a couple years, and he's gone on back to Honduras, where he was from, and uh, Jonas Martinez is uh, there. We're providing a little bit of support to a young man in San Salvador. Um, His name is is Victor Bonilla, and uh, Victor has been very instrumental with us, working with the government there in uh, the capital city. Um, I can't say thank you enough for the support of this congregation for this trip, in addition to the Twenty-some-plus-thousand-dollars that uh, we used from the Treasury to buy medicine and to help with team expenses. Um, there was just an outpouring of, uh, of uh, things for us to take down. We had toys galore. We had school supplies. And there are 300 happy children with teddy bears down there. Uh, thank you, Patty Willoughby and the teddy bear ministry. We weren't sure how we were going to get them all down there, but we sucked all the air out of them and made pancakes out of them. And uh, there's 300... Uh, Happy children down there. They were quite, quite the prize as, as uh, we were done. Uh, I know if I start thanking people, I will forget someone. Uh, so I'm not going to thank everyone, but I am going to thank uh, Katie Whitaker. She led our um, educational for the children this year. And uh, you haven't lived until you've tried to teach 144 kids under the age of 8 in a 12 by 12 room. And that's what we had every night. And uh, Katie coordinated that those efforts and did an outstanding job. Of course, the, the financial backing from the congregation here and all the prayers and well wishes that we had, taking care of those of our families that could not go with us, uh, we appreciate all that. Um, we have three men that are going to talk a little bit about the trip. Uh, first, Carson Alford. Uh, this is his first trip. Um, if you don't know Carson, you'll, you'll meet him tonight. Um, he normally sits right down here. And then uh, Dan Johnson. Uh, is a relatively newcomer, and when he placed membership with us about, a, I think it was about a year or so ago, we found out he was a pharmacist, and we said, well, good, we can get rid of Bill Staggs. Why don't you go with us? And so uh, this year, for the first time in a while, we had two pharmacists, and, and Dan went. And uh, I think he's got something special to talk about about his trip. And then uh, James Whitaker will wrap it up uh, and talk about uh, the class that he taught and offer the invitation. Again, thank you for your support. This was my first mission trip outside of the country, or inside, I guess, for that matter. Uh, we, had a, we had a really great trip. Um, I think we had 12 baptized and several restored. Uh, great response down there to the, to the ministers and elders that went out door knocking every day and the gospel meetings at night. Uh, and it was it was a great experience for all of us to to get to help our brothers and sisters in Latin America spread the gospel any, any way we could. Uh, I worked in the pharmacy the first three days, and I did some odd jobs after that. And 
it was such a such a blessing to get to do any any small thing to make me think that I was in some way helping helping spread God's word. The things I'd like to mention primarily tonight are the people, the benefit I have felt, and then what it's like to come back home from someplace like El Salvador after you've been there for a week. The people that were there would come from from miles around and would stand in the sun all day just to get in to see the, the doctors or the dentists. And then many of them would return again that night for the gospel meeting. Um, I got to go out once, door knocking with some of the elders from and the ministers from, from Latin America, and each each place we went to was very receptive to us. They, they let us in, talked to them for a while, and got to meet them, their families, and they listened very attentively, and then came, you know, some of them came later that night and would study longer. Uh, the first, the first time that Sunday night, first night we were there, it was, it was wonderful to hear them sing. I couldn't understand the words that they were saying, but it was, it was the most beautiful sound I believe I've ever heard. And uh, Buddy mentioned the uh, the children in the small rooms. I got to, I went and looked in on them once, and I helped with one little play during the during the week and the energy and excitement of those kids was just amazing they were just right the ones that had had seats were just right on the edge of them and the ones in the room with katie they were just could not stop moving they were so excited to be there and so happy to be learning the the true benefit i i got from going was the perspective of the difference between the world that they live in and, and our country and the opportunities we have here and the lack of opportunities they have there, but the need for God, we all, we all have that need. And in a lot of ways, they were a lot more receptive because I think they don't have the distractions that we have here The other, the other major benefit was that when I left, I didn't know half these people's names over here. And I, know, I don't only know their names now, but I know their girlfriends' names and their wife's names. And you really get to know the people you are with for a week. And just to get to talk to them about some of the, the blessings they've had about being part of our congregation makes me appreciate that much more how lucky I am to be here at Mount Juliet. When we got ready to leave, I was pretty sad at the end of the week. I knew I was coming back here to to air conditioning, and it was actually, I think, in the 50s when we got off the plane. And, you know, it's in the hundreds there every day, and that's, that's their life, and... We left them there, and we came back here to our lives. And Andrew mentioned this morning about how 
being on a mountain and then being in a valley when you come back here that you have to go back to work. Well, I kind of stayed on the mountain because I appreciated my job and what I have here and the car I have to drive that hour plus commute every day. And every little bitty thing here means that much more when you come back. I'm thankful that I am home and safe, but I hope to go back again someday. Number 63. 63. It was a great opportunity for me, being, like Buddy said, a newer member, to go to El Salvador. One of the things I liked most about this church when I first came here was not only the extremely friendly personality of everyone here, I mean, they welcomed me from the moment I walked in the door, but also the great opportunities that come with going to a church like Mount Juliet. And uh, Carson already did a great job of summing up what it's like for us to go from this world to that world and then have to come back. But I want to talk about some of my personal experiences. Being a pharmacist, it was a great opportunity to go and use my professional skills to help the people of El Salvador, but beyond that, also to help serve the Lord. The things that we can do for these people to, to show them what it's like to be a Christian and, and what it is to help people. The uh, experience was an interesting one. I think pretty much everybody here knows Bill Staggs. Um, Bill would kind of be my mentor through the pharmacy experience. We had uh, a huge amount of drugs, antibiotics, um, Tylenol, ibuprofen, uh, antifungals, uh, other antibiotic topical things. It was kind of your typical little pharmacy list. Our first day we tried to get prepared with everything. and Unfortunately, we weren't quite ready to go. Uh, the first day was a challenge. We filled probably something around 2,500 prescriptions that first day. And just to kind of put that in perspective, if you're a Walgreens, you're moving if you fill 1,000 a day. So we were at least doubling up anything your corner Walgreens would do with a lot less sophisticated equipment to work with. So it was a challenge. And that first day was, was definitely a, a stressful day. Still, it was enjoyable. Second day was a similar run. Uh, you've probably seen the pictures of what the clinic looked like. We had uh, a doc from Searcy, Arkansas, Gym City, as well as some of the local docs. It's always a challenge when you're getting prescriptions to fill. They're in Spanish, but we managed to kind of figure that out along the way. And the uh, next interesting challenge I had is by day three, I felt like I had fairly well learned from Bill how to run the operation. And, Bill told me that, well, Dan, I've got to go out and uh, take care of some business in town. We're going to try to pick up some more drugs. I'll be gone for maybe a couple of hours maximum. It won't be a big deal. You can handle it. I'm like, well, sure, Bill. I can probably cover that. As we're hustling around, I know Greg was in there. He's probably laughing at me now. Two hours turned into three, and then four, then five, and the two-hour absence from Bill turned into more like six hours going on the entire day. So it was a challenge. Uh, we were hot, sweaty, tired. 
I can never imagine a food product saving my life, but uh, Powerade and Pringles, I think, are what brought us through that day. If not for that, I don't know what we could do. But number-wise, I know everybody's probably seen this, but the total for the week, these were pretty incredible numbers um, from the medical side. We did doctor's patients, 2,701, and oddly enough, with the counting system we use, generally those numbers do end in a one. Pharmacy somehow, 2,750. We had more pharmacy patients than doctors' uh, patients. I'm not sure how that happened. Hopefully those were all over-the-counter prescription things. <laughs> um, total prescriptions. This is the number that, when Bill told me the range of what we would likely be doing in El Salvador, absolutely amazed me. The prescriptions we filled for the week, uh, 10,491. Um, if you did have a corner of Walgreens that could do something like that, uh, you'd definitely be in business. Other big numbers, the dental patients, you could always hear the dentists. I imagine that y'all back here in Mount Juliet probably heard the dental area a few times because we had some kids that didn't like it too much. 295 patients, 308 extractions. I mean, it was really a, it was a pretty amazing process. Uh, the first day there was a pharmacy line that that wrapped almost out of the compound. I mean, these people were excited to be there. They would wait in line in the burning heat all day long. I mean, it was just really, really awesome experience. <laughs> the other side for me, though, just kind of personally, of what it was like to go to El Salvador, is everybody asks you, well, you know, what was the trip like? I really can't honestly put it into words. The only way you're ever going to know what it's like to go to El Salvador is to come with us next year. Um, I mean, it was what you would expect. It was hot. 106 was the top number we heard from that. 126, 8 degrees at the front gate. It was a lot of hard work. It was dusty. We didn't exactly have the facilities we're used to. Um, I could never imagine spending my summertime in 106 degree weather and drinking water that's the temperature of the outside air and thinking it's the greatest thing in the world. But you get used to it when you go to El Salvador. It's just part of the trip. It's part of the adjustment. The first few days there, honestly, were beyond a challenge for me. We'd gotten up early in the morning, had a 45-minute flight to Atlanta, a three-hour flight to El Salvador. That's when the refugee camp started of hundreds and hundreds of bags. We packed them into a box truck, had an hour bus ride to get to Uslatan. No air conditioning, of course. We had to unpack. We had to set up camp. I mean, we were just completely a little group of refugees all along the way as we moved. And the first day of clinic was unbelievable. It was hot. We were moving. After the first two days of this experience, I really started to think, you know, I'm almost just ready to go home. This is just too much. I don't know if I can make it the whole seven days. It's just you move. You, you get up. You eat breakfast. You, know, you do devotional. You go work. Clinic is... 10 plus hours, you're just moving. I mean, all I had time to do was check prescriptions and sweat. I mean, that's it. And so after a while, I really, you know, maybe I'm not going to want to do this next year. I mean, it's just, it, it didn't feel like fun. And I'm not trying to come up here and tell everybody, don't go to El Salvador next year, because in the end, it was the most amazing experience of my life. But by the third day, clinic slowed down a little bit. We actually had time to stop, look at our patients, uh, enjoy the experience and that night some of the the guys were kind of sitting around having a conversation and i don't remember exactly who said it um, kenny page 
Dennis Buchanan were both there kind of talking about what it's like to be a Christian, what it's like to have this experience in El Salvador. And somebody made the comment about how we in our everyday lives can easily get into a rut. You get up, you go to work, you come home, you eat dinner, you go to bed, you get up, you go to work, you come home, you eat dinner, you go to bed, and that's your life. And you know, honestly, the exact same thing had happened to me in El Salvador. I'd managed to get myself into that same rut if you just work and go and you don't take the time to appreciate all those blessings. And it really was an incredible blessing. Um, the third day of clinic went great. Fourth day, even better. As we moved towards that final day of clinic, I, uh, we'd already had a few people go, go down with some sickness. Everybody, I'm sure, has heard the stories when we got back. Um, I woke up the last day of clinic kind of struggling a little bit. A little nausea. I'm thinking, oh, no, I'm not going to get this. Bill, after his uh, six, eight-hour excursion, said, you know, Dan, you can take the morning off. I'm like, well, that'll be great. A couple hours, settled down. Once again, drank some more Powerade. It's the greatest beverage on earth. And started to feel a little better. And as soon as I got, got up from a little nap, got ready to go for the day, um, they came up to me and said, Dan, it's time to, if you want to go out and do some of the door knocking. So I thought, yeah, that'd be great. You know, Bill said, once again, you're fine to go. We can, we can cover it. And got the opportunity to go with some of the local preachers and uh, door knock. The first, lady we, the first house we came to, the lady invited us in. We sat there and studied with her for about um, 45 minutes or so. Entirely in Spanish, had very little clue what was going on. But she said, you know, I'd like to come back and, and study some more later. So she proceeded to about 2 o'clock, 3 o'clock in the afternoon, she came to the compound, and I noticed her from the pharmacy. She was uh, studying with Victor, so I, Victor Bonilla. So we studied with Victor for a while, and afterwards uh, she said, of course I didn't understand exactly, but she you know, said, yes, I want to be baptized. Which was, is awesome. You get to go study with someone, and they hear the word, they come to know um, Jesus, and they decide to be baptized. And as we're walking to our baptismal pool, um, Honus, the local preacher, points at me and goes, You, you. And I'm like, what, what? Looking over my shoulder for somebody else, and he wanted me to baptize her. So at the end of this day, at the end of this week, basically, I got the incredible experience of baptizing this lady into Christ. Um, it would have to be the most amazing day of my life. I just really can't think of what else could compare to something like that. So the full experience in El Salvador, there's a lot of ups, a lot of downs. But to end on baptizing this lady, didn't even know her name. Um, Jonathan Winchester, one of the interns with Forest Park Church, was there to interpret. And you know, I, I told him to ask her what her name was. He said her name was Esperanza, which Esperanza in Spanish from English, English translates into hope. And Jonathan turned to him and said that her name was Esperanza, which is hope, and hope is now what she has. And I mean, I just, you can't think of a better end to a week. And Carson already mentioned the new hope to, with El Salvador, seven restorations, 12 baptisms. And I don't know how many times I've used the word incredible or amazing or awesome, but all those describe it. It's a great trip. I think everybody should go next year. For some reason, Buddy wanted youth and age tonight, so age has gone before me. As everyone said, it was a wonderful trip. And to start out, let me tell you that the men that the School of the Americas in Panama is turning out are amazing evangelists. 
This year, instead of working, my opportunity was to go out with these men and have classes with these men and see how they function down there. And let me tell you, these men are amazing. I went out with Alonzo Racine for three days, and then he had to leave, and I went out with Jose Morazan for the last two days. But Alonzo and I, the first day that we went out, again, Alonzo can speak English, so he was an interpreter, and Jose could not. But Alonzo went to four different people that day that we went and talked to and had studies that lasted an hour or more. And the first place we went to, the lady was a Catholic. The second place that we went to, the gentleman went to the evangelical church. And I've yet to figure out exactly what that one was. And then the last gentleman that we talked to was a Mormon. And in each of these places, Alonzo started out at different parts of the scriptures. And all he had was a Bible, well marked, well underlined. But all he had was a Bible. He didn't have a concordance. He didn't have a step-by-step process to go through. He did it all just from here, just from his knowledge of the scriptures. And each, each person that we talked to, he started out where that person was and went with them through what they believed, what the Bible taught, and what the plan of salvation was. And I was amazed that they were able to do that just from his own knowledge, just from the experience that he had. Now, the reason I knew what Alonzo was doing, because he would be teaching, everything's in Spanish, on and on and on and on, Matthew 4, 12, on and on and on and on. James 1, 2, on and on. So I was able to keep up because he would just give me the scriptures and so I was flipping real fast to keep up with him. So I could see the process that he was going through and it was wonderful, wonderful to watch. And as I said, the last two days I went with Jose, he couldn't speak English. So that was very interesting because I, I think we were lost one day. I couldn't be sure because we kept going back and forth on streets and they were spinning around like this. And I was going, lost? Are we lost? <laughs> no, 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 no. But it was fun to go with Jose because they would be talking back and forth to individuals that they'd meet on the street in Spanish. And I would hear, do I bless Spanish? And Jose would, no, no. Un poquito, just a little. They were asking if I could speak Spanish. Jose knew better. And every once in a while, speak English. Say, yeah. How you doing? Yeah, good to see you too. Come on to church. So there were a few people that I got to talk to because they knew English. And that's a wonderful feeling when you don't know where you are and you're not sure the people you're with know where they are. <laughs> it's good to be able to speak to somebody that can tell you where you need to go. And sometimes you might ask about this trip and about the medical part of it. Everywhere that Jose and Alonzo went to, their introduction was, I am with the church, and they would point that is having the medical people over at the school. That was their introduction, and that immediately got their attention and got them into almost every house that they came to. 
So the medical part of this mission is extremely important. It opens up doors because these people know that these men are there to try to help them and to alleviate some pain and some sickness that they have. But also they know that these men are there because they are concerned about their souls. The process that occurred for me each day, as was alluded to earlier, we had a devotional before we started out every day. But then, because it was still early in the morning, all of these local preachers, the men that had come to interpret and to go door knocking, we all met together in a little pavilion and had a class for them. And one of the good things about this was that there were four elders there at this mission trip. And so what they wanted to talk about was church growth. And I started out, and the other elders came along the next days, and then David Shannon finished up for the last class. But as part of church growth, we talked about the need for elders, the need for men in the congregation to lead a congregation, to help it grow, to try to do the right things. And this is what amazed me more than anything that I've ever done in any of these trips that I've gone on. There came from these men such a wave of emotion, a wave of heartfelt concern about the church where they were because these churches don't have elders. These churches don't have men that can be elders. Think about the early churches. The churches that these men are at, they are just starting. These are all new converts. There is no second generation Christian in most of these places. These are women, men, a few children, that they are converting, they are baptizing and helping their church to grow. So, in most cases, these churches don't have people that are long in the faith, that know a great deal, that have been around. And so they don't have the things that we have here, as Carson alluded to earlier. They don't have y'all. And it struck me so so vividly, something that I take for granted here. These men didn't have anybody to confide in. They had no one to talk to except each other, and that's only usually when we have these mission trips and they are able to get together with one another. So this class was a wonderful thing for me, and I hope it was a wonderful thing for them because it gave them a chance to talk about their struggles and not the struggles as far as food and water and air conditioning and travel and all those things that you would expect, but their struggle just as men trying to start a church. I know I have here people that I talk to, Pat, Griff, David, uh, Doug, Bob, folks that I'll ask for advice, folks that I'll talk to to try to figure out problems, try to work on things. There's many of you here. These men don't have that. They don't have that support group. One of them even talked about that he did have men that wanted to be leaders in the congregation. They had been there long enough. They wanted to do something. They wanted to take an active part. And his struggle was letting go. 
He had been so much in the forefront, so much doing everything because there was nobody else to do it. It became so ingrained in him, he had trouble letting go and letting someone else take on part of the work, take some of the burden off him. And you can bless David Shannon. He's not here, so he won't know that I'm talking about him. His class at the end of it all was about growing leaders, growing men and women in the congregation to help do the work. And it was wonderful because you could see just light bulbs going off in all their minds thinking, I can do that. I can do that. I can let these people come in. So in that way, for me this time, it was a very wonderful experience to see the heart of the men that we're supporting. All of you can take a few minutes now and look to your left and look to your right. And you see people that you know, people that you love, people that love you, people that you can talk to. And I thought it was so wonderful this morning that Andrew's sermon talked about the support that you have here. And these people don't have it. In the 10th verse of Proverbs 27, it says that better is a neighbor nearby than a brother far away. And indeed, in this congregation, it's better to have you here, your support here for all of us, than it is for those family members that are indeed far away. In 1 Thessalonians 5th chapter and the 11th verse, it says to encourage one another and build up one another just as you are doing. And you don't know how important. I don't at times realize how important that is to have here until you miss it, until you see those people that don't have that. And all of you here have people that love you, people that are concerned about you. And the most important thing for all of us to know, for all of us to be, and that is a Christian. Because you cannot truly tap in to that source of wonder unless you are a Christian. You can't fully feel that love. You can't fully see that support. unless you are a Christian. In Proverbs 17th chapter, in the 17th verse, it says that a friend loveth at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. Tonight, if you're not a Christian, you need to tap into that power. If you've wandered away and have lost that connection to this family here, you need to come forward and make that connection again. It is wonderful to be a Christian. It's wonderful to know that Jesus is Lord. And it's wonderful to have a family 
So tonight, if you don't have a family, we ask you, if you would, to come forward and become part of ours as you stand and sing. And before Timothy comes up and closes us out, um, last year we went to Uslatan, and this year we went back. We weren't exactly sure what we were going to find. We planted a church last year with 20-some-odd people that were baptized. I guess one of the most gratifying things about this trip were some of the people that we baptized last year worked shoulder-to-shoulder with us this year, knocking doors and running the clinic. There was one man that... Um, he didn't feel comfortable knocking doors, but Jorge worked unbelievably, everything that needed to be done. Um, the other thing that was extremely gratifying is last year there were a couple of young ladies that we baptized. This year we baptized their mothers. So the church in El Salvador is alive.